Welcome to the Power of Synergy on BBS Radio. I'm your host, Gabrielle Cardona. Synergy is what we create when we're with people. Humans are powerful beings when they're alone. Our capacity is infinite for the simple reason that, as souls, we have a body and a heart and a mind and a spirit. When those four things come together, they create a soul. The things that a soul can do are even more powerful when it comes together with another soul. Now, synergy is, by definition, the interaction or cooperation of two or more organizations, substances, or agents to produce a combined effect greater than the sum of their separate effects. So what does that mean in a practical sense? There's an expression, the total is worth more than the sum of its parts, which is especially true when it comes to people. Humans become exponentially more powerful when they're united in thought and intention and volition because everything they're thinking and everything they're feeling at all times will affect the other person and their energy intensifies. No doubt you've experienced this personally in a good and a bad way. Now, this show is going to be about learning how to become more personally powerful and mindfully proactive both when you're alone and when you're with other people. I'm going to cover a lot of topics today, so my fabulous producer decided to give me extra time to go over all of them. And if you have a question that you want to ask or a comment that you want to make, go ahead and give me a call. The number to the station is 888-627-6008. Now, let's go ahead and just go over something personal as an overview, I don't usually share personal experiences in my show, but something happened over the weekend. I was actually in a less than desirable situation, and I had to go to a public facility where homeless people reside. They live, they eat food, they get work, they get help assistance from the state to make their situation better. And interesting, a lot of men were looking at me. Um, now you know what? The fact that I'm confident or I'm happy or I'm attractive, whatever it is, I'm used to men looking at me and sometimes complimenting me. But a lot of men were looking at me very differently than I was used to. And I thought, you know, I'm not going to judge them just because of the situation that they're in. And I'm not going to assume that I know what kind of people they are because that really is a wrong thing to do just as a general principle. So I asked a gentleman, I said, so what are you doing here? And and why are you so focused on me right now? And he said, well, I'm in a hard way. I lost my home and my wife. So I knew the minute he said my wife, I was going to hear a long story. (laughs) So instead of torturing all my listeners with all the details, he, he said, just because I was listening, he said, I don't find women like you. You're you're professional, you're attractive, but you're smart, you're funny, you're... And she said, you know, most women are a scab. I said, what's a scab? <laughs> that sounds very bad. And he said, oh, it's just this acronym I came up with. You know what? Apparently, just in general, this man thinks that all women are at least one, if not all four, of the following things, S-C-A-B, things. Stupid, crazy annoying, or boring. Okay. (laughs) So a woman who's smart and sane and beautiful and happy is not possible because 
Every woman can have one of four good qualities, being smart and beautiful and fun and saint, but the other three things on that list quickly cancel it out, the, the crazy or annoying or boring or stupid. Well, okay, if you have one good quality but you have three bad ones, that one quality is barely worth it. Wow, okay. So um, after sex, a woman is pretty disposable in his opinion. And I think the fact that a lot of feminists who don't really like men are the reason why a lot of men just in the United States don't really like women and they don't think very highly of them as a general rule when it comes to relationships and dating. And so I thought, you know, I'm going to go ahead and I'm going to put out some feelers kind of as a social experiment. If you, if you can find two good qualities in a woman, but the other two qualities on the scab list make it a toss-up, you know, maybe she's a keeper, getting three out of four qualities means you have hit the jackpot because that's almost marriage material. You know what? The fact is no woman can really have all four things. It's just not reasonable to ask for these women because they don't exist. Okay, well, let's, let's go ahead and talk to the other people here at a, a homeless shelter. I actually went in and I spoke not only to the residents of the shelter, but also to the security guards and the supervisors and the people who well, basically just make sure nothing goes wrong in the homeless shelter. Because, you know, okay, so maybe they're not the best people in the world. I was shocked at how mistreated the residents were. They were disrespected. They even disrespected and then insulted me. I haven't even done anything. I didn't even do anything. They threatened me. They tried to intimidate me. They swore at me. And I thought, wow, maybe the people, men and women living here, are struggling because they're not really ever allowed to be in a high-quality state. Okay, well, let's go back just to the principle of synergy before I get into more details of that because throughout the show I'm going to be um, sharing some of the specific experiences that I had. Energy is either positive or negative. I've always said that when it comes to my coaching. I've always thought that coaching was better than counseling because coaching is an approach. It's a different approach, a holistic approach. Okay, now what's the definition of holistic? It's characterized by the treatment of the whole person, taking into account the mental and social factors rather than just symptoms of an illness, for example, okay? And it's the belief that all the parts of something are interconnected and can only be explained in reference to the whole. They are indelibly intertwined and they will never be mutually exclusive. So if your heart's doing one thing and your mind is doing something else, you will be compromised. Your ability to really be the best that you can be is reduced. You have to get your heart and your mind, and your body, all in a high-quality state. So in the context of these people, well, maybe some of them do have mental problems, or maybe they have emotional problems, or maybe they have social problems. If their other energy, their mental and emotional or physical energy is healthy, that can actually bring whatever struggle they're having internally with another facet of their soul all the way back to a high-quality state. If they get their whole entity in a holistic way into a positive state, that will increase 
their potential to create synergy with people. And so I thought, I'm just going to go ahead and, and do the experiment of with everyone around me being negative, I'm going to conquer the evil with good by being positive. Is positive energy more powerful than negative? Because negative energy is very contagious. It's very infectious and it's very strong. The minute one person said something confrontational, I immediately noticed the response of the other residents. They were fighting back. They weren't even fighting over anything in particular. They were just in a battling mood. They wanted conflict. They wanted that power struggle. And they tried to get me involved, and I stayed calm and actually was very polite and considerate, and they, they didn't know what to do. Actually, the positive energy that's emotional and mental and physical that I was bringing to the situation really slowed them down, and it really calmed them down. And I was able, by the end of the day, to be laughing with the very people who were threatening me and their neighbors, literally the people sitting next to them. We were able to have a personal conversation, and we were able to share encouraging and upbuilding thoughts. Now, let me give an example, okay? Bottom line is, if you're not positive, you are negative. Some people say if you're not part of the solution, you're part of the problem. If you're not being proactive, you're being reactive. Mindfulness is the key to being truly healthy. Now, an example of this is giving compliments. We need to give them as much as we need to receive them. Now, you know what? The example of the man in McDonald's who said I made his day, all I did was get some fast food, and it was a horrible meal, and I decided to fill out the survey to complain about the meal. <laughs> but you know what? One of the questions was, did they come to your table? Did some employee come to your table and um, check up on you, basically, see how you were doing? Well, I thought, hmm, well, I'm not actually left yet, so I'm still here. I can't really in good faith answer the survey question. So I, I put the survey on pause, and I waited and waited, and they didn't come to the table, and Hmm, okay, but I wasn't going to give him, you know, too long. But at the same time, the good faith, positive attitude that I had. Well, by the time I uh, was ready to pack up, another a customer came over to my table and made conversation with me. And as he was bringing his cup of coffee over to me, the man behind the counter, the employee, came over to both of us. And he said, would you like more coffee to the man? And he said, yeah, great, that'd be great. And he looked at me and he said, oh, you don't have coffee. Can I get you something? And I said, oh, thank goodness. I'm so excited because <laughs> he was a really sweet old guy. And I said, no, I'm, I'm good. Thank you for asking. And so as I packed up my things and I went back over to the counter on my way out the door, I said, sir, I just need to know your name because I'm going to fill out the survey and I'm going to tell your company about what you did for me today. I said, I, I was waiting. I was worried that I wouldn't be able to say something good about you, but now I'm going to mention you by name and whoever the manager of your store is, they're going to know that you are the good stuff. You're the good material. And he said, wow, you just made my day. I said, and you made mine. And I gave him a great big grin and walked out the door. How much? How much did that mean to him that my happiness really was based on his performance? It's not just what he did, but who he was. He wasn't really in a good mood by any standard when I walked into the store, but by the time I walked out, my positive energy and my direct 
compliment to him personally changed his body and heart and mind and spirit. His soul became a better quality. The fact is, our energy as a human soul has to be either positive or negative, and positive energy is contagious. Now, you know, we're talking about having a good feeling. We want to have good feelings. Well, there's a lot of physical things we can do, you know, for ourselves, to ourselves, with ourselves, by ourselves, <laughs> to create the good feeling. We'll talk about, like, uh, smoking pot, right? Uh, the a monetary award, someone giving you a large amount of money, well, or having an orgasm. What's all that, that common element in those, those experiences? Dopamine. That's a great chemical. It increases our memory. You know what? It gives us peace and excitement. Well, which one do we like more? Generally, the excitement. But when we're the giver, we get the peace. When we're the receiver, we get the excitement. Both are equally rewarding. They're both very pleasurable to us, and they're vitally important. Both are vitally important to the success of humanity. Giving to others and receiving, appreciating what we've been given. Compliments are amazing for our brain and for the world because when our positive energy really is genuine and profound, being around us will make the world, the people who are near us, a higher quality soul. Now, this is really interesting because we know that we affect other people. Some people say, oh, I don't really care about that person. Well, then you're in denial because, yes, we do care, and we are built to care. We're built to care about and to care for other people. When we have to disconnect or detach or just completely walk away from someone, that does affect us. We have a responsibility to interact with people, and we do care very much about what they think and need and feel. But unfortunately, certain political dynamics in the last hundred years or so, in the United States, people really believe that they have rights. They are absolutely universal and not negotiable entitlement, really. Everyone is born with the right, what, to have a gun, to say whatever you want to say, to be completely and totally free, not controlled by any. Okay, you know what? Let's go ahead and think about that. Actions come with consequences, whether politically we have any kind of bill to pay for the things that we've done, we still have consequences in a social way for the things that we say and do. Humanity is just that way. And then consequences demand accountability. What that means is when we have to pay the consequences for the things that we've done, we are responsible to the people that we have affected. And accountability is what keeps people stabilized because relative to each other, the fundamental message is, I'm not any more important than you. You are just as important as I am. And that's really when you say to someone, let's say in the store, as you're walking through the store, you say, oh, I'm sorry, please go ahead. The initial reaction, the immediate human reaction is for someone to respond in kind to your positive energy. When you say, here, go ahead, go ahead of me, I'm sorry, they say, no, no, no. That's okay. And they'll give you a smile and they'll say, if you want to go, you go right ahead. The very important thing to remember is that 
receiving a gift, accepting the gift. The offer that someone has made, the act of kindness, is just as important. I call it the gift of acceptance. When you truly do give to someone, if they say, no, I don't want what you're giving to me, how does it make you feel? You know, sometimes we think we're doing people a favor by saying, no, 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 that's okay. I don't want to take anything from you because taking is selfish. No, it's not. Accepting is very generous. Even when we don't want what someone has given us, I say this all the time, why do we eat a really disgusting piece of candy from a two- or a three-year-old at this offering with a whole heart and soul? They really want to make us happy. We even fake that we're happy because we don't want to deprive them of that meaningful and profound experience of giving and the reward and fulfillment that comes from generosity. Now, I really do appreciate certain things about Dr. Phil. Because for the most part, he's, you know, tell it like it is. He's very direct and to the point. I like that. I'm the same way. And a lot of people have told me that I'm like a female and much more attractive version of Dr. Phil because I am that way. But one of the things that I don't agree with is he says, do you want to be right or do you want to be happy? Well, that's not accurate because you're not going to be happy unless you've done the right thing. What, what he meant to say was, do you want to win or be happy? Okay, now think about the difference. It's not about being right. It's about winning. When you have to win, you have to make someone else lose. That, by definition, is conflict. Even when you win a conflict, you're still unhappy because the synergy is about combining energy to become exponentially more powerful. Positive energy is more powerful than negative energy. But when negative energy intertwines with positive energy, it contaminates the positive energy. And that's why there is no such thing as neutral. You will always be either positive or negative. And positive energy becomes exponentially more successful when it does unite with more positive powerful energy. So you can have all the good energy in the world. The minute that negative energy comes into the situation, for example, when someone has to lose in order for you to win, both of your energy has become contaminated. It saturates and permeates the heart and body and the mind. Now think about that. When you go through your daily life, do a little quick inventory. How many of the people in your daily activity interactions are positive people, how many of them are negative people, and how many of them are what they would say, neutral. You know, I don't care. It's not good or bad. I really don't care. That energy, because it's not positive energy, is affecting you in a negative way. And we're going to get back into that topic a little bit later. But when it comes down to turning that, that difference of opinion or what would otherwise potentially be a conflict, into something positive, there are really important principles to keep in mind. One of them that I've always said is the most important to me personally is that people will only be as honest with you as you are with them. And then something my father always taught me that I absolutely to this day appreciate more than anything, you'll only be as honest with others 
as you are with yourself. Anyone who gives you more truth than you want, okay, will be pushed away by you because, thank you, Jack Nicholson, you can't handle the truth. How honest are you with yourself? That's going to be a huge determining factor in your positive energy. You can handle the truth. We can handle differences of opinion. It's about our positive energy. Again, in the context of synergy, what you're bringing to other people's energy needs to be healthy, and that's when it can be positive. Because, now think about this, the next point that I want to share with my listeners and the people who really do want this information, your external circumstances will never be better than your internal conditions. I'm going to say that again. Your external circumstances will never be better than your internal condition. Your mental and emotional condition has to be the foundation for everything externally that you do and experience and feel with other people. That's the synergy. Now, think about this when I I think I like to say... Sometimes you catch more flies with honey than you do with vinegar. Yes, that's annoying, but <laughs> it's true. So I give an example um, in the percentage of the full capacity. When we're talking about mindfulness and when we're talking about really being 100% of our potential, reaching 100% of our potential, a lot of people can agree that women are much more influential socially, emotionally, mentally, than men, simply because we are infectious. Our energy is very powerful. It's very strong. So when I use the example of a woman going down from zero, when she is at a state of zero, okay, well, obviously then she's not alive. So at least every woman has to be 10% of her full potential just to get things done during the day. What does a woman at 10% look like? Okay, that's pretty as low as bad as it gets. Okay. The function of a woman at 10% is based on a philosophy of I'm doing bad to you as your motivation to do bad to me. I want to suffer and I want everyone around me to suffer as well. I am incapable of doing good because I'm mentally unstable and emotionally sick. Okay, we all know women like that. Thank God there aren't many of them in the world, but there are women who are truly toxic. When she's only at 10 to 20% of her full potential, her capacity for amazingness, she is proactively doing harm to other people before they ever even do anything bad to her because she genuinely does want to make other people as unhappy as she is. Okay, that's a big problem. Thank goodness, again, there aren't very many people like that in the world, men or women. But what about, say, 20 to 30%? Well, that's a little bit better. It's a little bit healthier, but that's still reactive. And the philosophy of someone who's only functioning at 20 to 30% is, I'm doing bad to you as your motivation to do good for me. I'm being manipulative and abusive in order to feel powerful. Now, I know it's harmful, but I genuinely don't care. I'm fine doing harm to people as long as I get something good for me out of it. Unlike the 10 to 20%, you know what? That's the kind of person who does bad things to create more bad things. Yeah, 20 to 30%. Yeah, she's doing, she's doing bad things because she ultimately wants to do, have good things for herself. Okay? Now, 
the next level, the next percentage bracket, I say, is 30 to 40%. That really is uh, based on the modus operandi of I'm doing bad to you as your punishment for what you've done. My desire to create pain and suffering in your life is more powerful than my desire to do and be good things. I actually do have the capacity to do and be good things. I simply enjoy pain and suffering more than good. Unfortunately, the world that we live in, a lot of the people have that feeling inside of themselves. They don't even know it. They're not doing it on purpose. But think about this. Just just the people you work with, maybe a few family members. How many people do you know, maybe even yourself, that you or they do bad as punishment for what other people do to them? They know how to create pain and suffering in people's lives, and their desire to do and be good things is not as strong as their desire to hurt other people. Okay, so the next level up, 40 to 50%. Okay, so now this isn't I'm doing bad things. It's just I'm withholding good things, not proactively doing or being bad things, just restraining myself where I would otherwise do or be good as a punishment for what you've done to me. I'm so upset and negative that my ability, my genuine ability to do and be good things is non-existent. I have removed my ability to do good. Now, the 30 to 40% is doing bad things, well, you know what? A lot of people, they justify in their mind, I'm not doing anything bad. I'm simply withholding the good that I'm very capable of doing and being for you, with you, as a punishment, because I have negative feelings. That's pretty gross. But, again, in the mindset of it's my right, I have a right without any responsibility, and my own thoughts and feelings are more important than anyone else's, so I have no sense of accountability. It's getting a little bit more tricky as we go up the percentage scale, okay? So we were at 50 to 60%. You know what? About 60 to 80%. When a person really is, as a soul, at 60 to 80% of their full capacity to be a positive, proactive, healthy synergy with other people, as an entity alone, what their philosophy is basically can be summarized as I'm doing good as your reward for what you've done. If you had not been good for me, I would not be good for you. And if you stop doing good for me, I will stop doing good for you. Okay, so think about that for a second. You might have to kind of mull that idea over a couple of different ways. It means that the person is doing good things because something good was already there. They didn't create anything that wasn't already there. They're just continuing to propel something that is good. Well, that would be great if we lived in a world where people were good, (laughs) where more people were good. The world that we live in, that's unfortunately becoming a very rare occurrence. When people aren't doing good things for each other, we don't really know what to do as a proactively conquering the evil with good entity as a soul, our heart and mind and body and spirit creating the good, positive things 
even without anything good or positive existing around us before we start. So now we're getting up to the really high-quality state. 60 to 80% of our full capacity is good. But what about the high, the, the honey, right? The bottom is the vinegar. Well, the top is the honey that you attract people to you with. 80 to 100% of capacity for goodness is I'm being good because I am good. And the good that I am doing and being is with no expectations for anything in return. And it's with no judgment of your actions prior to or afterwards. When I'm, when I'm finished, before I started, I will continue to do good regardless of what you are or say or do. That's an amazing condition because that means you have a truly healthy source with positive intentions, that can be so powerful that nothing negative can eliminate it. It can uh, slow it down or it can reduce it momentarily, maybe, you know what, maybe even for a, a period of time. But the true source of goodness that that comes from will always conquer evil. Good always conquers evil. And the return on investment of the time and energy and strength that you put into that positive energy is exponential. Do you believe that you have the capacity to be at 80 to 100% of your true potential, your capacity for goodness, for positive energy and strength and unselfish giving? Some people say, absolutely, I, I can and I do it all the time. Well, first of all, let's be honest. How much of what you're doing is truly benevolent and unselfish and how aware are you of what you're doing just throughout the day as a general rule? How much of the things that you think and feel and say and do are about you proactively conquering evil with good? That's a great project and that's what a lot of my clients have, not only as their their ultimate goal, but it's a perpetual element of what they do, everything they do, and route to reaching their goal. And the fact is, if you are truly happy, nothing external can permanently take it away from you. Now, this is the part I was getting really excited about talking with my listeners today about that includes politics. Now, people who are obsessed social power and influence only feel the need to do this, this power and control over people to influence them to, to compensate for what's not going on in their external world. That's only because they're truly trying to compensate for what they lack internally. And on some level, they all know that. Well, obviously, we all care about what's going on around us. And we want the best things for our external environment. We want to experience good things going on around us. But the fact is, there are going to be things that we're never going to be able to change. And if you have true internal peace, that means you can have external, less than peaceful conditions, circumstances, and still have that 80 to 100% of your potential positive energy that will continue to create synergy 
in a positive way, you will then draw positive people to you naturally, and the, the negative people that are around you will absorb your positive energy, and they will either want to create more positive within themselves in order to stay with you and sustain that energy, or it will genuinely repel them, and they will walk away right there, right then and there. And that's good for you, too, because if you are making sure that all you're surrounding yourself with are high-quality people, that's going to make everyone else watching you with those people better people because we do absorb everything that people, we can say we don't care, we do care. We do see and hear and feel and sense what other people are doing. We have a responsibility. If we're not being, if we're not being good, we are maybe unwittingly, maybe unknowingly being bad. Now, when we talk about quantity, okay, well, we get better quality. We have a better quality state of mind. How does that actually affect the quantity of our performance, our improvement in performance? Okay, well, let's say back to the percentages again. If we're at, say, 25% of our true potential, well, the examples that I like to give of activities throughout the day are domestic chores, our secular jobs, our emotional connections, and our mental activity. So those are the, the four different things that, as humans, we have to do just as part of daily life. So an example of a domestic chore that I like is laundry. You know what? One load, one hour from beginning to end. You're actually only doing about 20 minutes of work. But because the wash takes a while and the dry takes a while, you're talking about an, an hour of work, okay? If you're at 25%, one load of laundry can take one hour. And the truth is, that can be exhausting for you. Okay, well, if you're at 50%, that's exponentially. It's not just twice as good. The amount of work that you're able to do in the context of a load of laundry you can actually do three loads of laundry in three hours. Yeah, you know what? That means you are still performing kind of at the same pace, but you're not exhausted after one. You can keep going. Your endurance has gone up and your strength has gone up and your intentions have improved. Wow, that's pretty good. You know what? Let's just go ahead and, and bring it up to 75%. Okay, well, you know what? If you're at 75% of your true capacity, you can not only do eight loads of laundry, but you can get them done through multitasking in two hours. That's a lot of work. I don't know how many of my listeners know how to do eight loads of laundry in a laundromat Okay, that's a lot of that's a lot of activity. You got to move, you got to pay attention, you have to do two or three different things at the same time. It does take strength, it does take energy and endurance in order to perform at that level for that length of time because you're not waiting for the wash and the dryer. You are literally putting the clothes in. By the time you've put the eighth load in the washer, that means the first load that you put in is ready to be dried. Okay, so that means you are literally putting in all of the clothes in the wash 
then all the clothes in the dry. By the time you're done putting the clothes in the dryer, you have maybe five, ten minutes to regroup. And the first dryer from the first load that you put in two hours ago, well, an hour and a half ago, depending on the, the laundromat you go to, you then have to take all of the clothes out of the dryers one at a time and fold all the clothes. That's a lot of clothes. But you know that at the capacity of 75% of 100%, you will have that positive mindset. You will have the energy. Our body is, again, able, incredibly able. We have a capacity to do so many things. And we don't really get tired until we're done. And that's when we sleep like a baby. So we are willing to do two hours of solid work because the fulfillment and the satisfaction that we get from completing eight loads of laundry, it's rewarding. It's indescribable. That's a physical task. Okay, well, what about something like driving? Well, you know what? That is really boring. In fact, it can be more exhausting to drive. I use the example of a delivery driver. For example, food, delivery, driver. One hour of driving can be tiring if you are going a lot of different places. Sometimes it's even more exhausting when you're sitting in traffic, literally going nowhere. Well, if you're at 25%, after one hour, you may just want to stop. Just, you know what, I was going to go somewhere, but I don't have the energy. I'm not going to do it at all. Okay, so at one or you know what, if you keep going, you're going to be in a really bad mood, and everyone around you is going to feel the bad mood. Well, what if you're at 50%? Well, then, you driving, you may actually be willing to go for three hours because you're not doing twice as much. You're actually doing three times better. You doubled your quality of state, but the quantity went up three times. Okay, well, what about if you're at 75%? You could actually drive for eight hours and not be exhausted and not be frustrated and not be in a bad mood because you have the mental focus to deal with things like traffic and you have the physical energy to sit and do nothing for eight whole hours. That's a whole lot more exhausting than manual labor because we weren't made to be inert. If you're at 75%, you can do twice as much as what you were at 50%. No, actually three times as much, depending on the kind of driving you're doing. And that's considerably more than you do at only 25%. That's eight times more. You're three times better, you can do eight times more. How much is that really worth to you? Do you believe that when you're at a higher quality stage, the quantity of what you're doing in increases and improves. Let's use the example of talking with your kids. Okay, let's say your kids are hmm, five to seven years old. Okay, you're at 25%. How do you feel talking to the kid that's six, seven years old about something that is really uninteresting? Well, guess what? That's all they talk about <laughs> all day, every day. Well, you know what? If you're at 25%, you can maybe talk with your kids and you're fake talking with them and they, they can feel you don't want to be with them. You cap out at a, about, about 10 minutes 
after about 10 minutes, yeah, you've, you've reached your limit and you'll find something to do to get away from the situation. An emotional connection, it's tough if you are not in a high-quality state. Well, what if you're at about 50%? Well, you know what? You actually have the calmness of heart and the peace of mind and the strength of physical, your body, the energy to sit and talk with them genuinely interested with positive attitude energy for up to an hour. You know what? You, you would maybe sit in front of the uh, show that they like to watch and talk with them and not feel any pressure to go anywhere else or do anything else. That is six times more than what you were doing at 25%. You only doubled, right, your quality, but six times the quantity that is definitely worth it. But what if you're at 75%? Let's go down to how you change talking with your kids when you're at 75%. You know what? That's going to manifest itself in a completely different way. That would be three hours total, okay, three times more than what you were at 50%, but it's going to be throughout the day in a spontaneous way according to what they need, always in a good mood you would be ready and willing and able and available at any moment to be completely accessible to them. And if there were times when they really wanted to talk to you, with you about something, 45 minutes to an hour at a time, maybe it's only five or 10 minutes at a time, you would not lose your emotional center by taking your attention away from what you were doing when you were with them. And they would feel that, and they would trust that, and they would appreciate that, and that would create synergy with your child that they would then bring into their soul, their heart, their mind, their body, and their spirit. Everything that they did would increase in quality exponentially because of what you gave to them in a higher quality state. Okay, now, what's that worth to you? Can you can even put a monetary value on that? Sure, you can go ahead and hire people to, to be with your children, to take care of your children. But when your kids are teenagers and they actually say to you, hey, mom, how was your day? And they have a conversation with you and you ask them, hey, what did you do today? And they tell you all the juicy details. You can't put a price on them. That is truly a gift. It's something that you can't even explain to someone because it's entirely about how we feel. And our positive energy comes from how we feel emotionally. So let's go ahead and, and talk about my favorite activity, <laughs> being a wife and mother. How about a mental activity like paying the bills, balancing a budget, doing paperwork, and math? Okay, we've got a lot of stuff to do just to manage a household. If you're at 25%, you might be able to do 30 minutes of paperwork, and you are going to get the biggest headache in the world. And I love it when men say that, you know, I go to work, all you do is stay home. Okay, sweetheart, go ahead and do 30 minutes of bills and paperwork on the computer and on the phone and taking care of all of these little logistics. And yeah, okay, at 25%, you know what? After 30 minutes, you actually do need a break, and you say, I'm going to go ahead and finish this tomorrow. And it's only going to be things on the immediate to-do list that are really going to completely fall apart if they're not done right now. Everything else, well, it can wait until tomorrow. 
Well, what if you're at 50%? Well, you know what? You could actually go for two hours. That's four times longer. And what you'll be doing are things like the monthly expenses and calculating things like your income to time ratio. Well, let's see if we have this expense and we're doing this activity on this day and we have to make this because I can make this much money as I'm doing that. So then if I'm making this much money and we can make a payment plan towards this, you can go for two hours on that level of mental activity, that kind of mental energy that does require physical endurance in order to sustain the level of performance. Well, what if you're at 75%? Well, you know what? At 50%, you're doing two hours. How much can you do at 75%? If your mind and heart and body are at 75% of your full potential, you can do six hours of work. That includes all of your finances, including bills that require phone calls, maybe for an issue, resolution, something that happened with a miscalculation in the bill or because they, they... charged you twice or because you actually shut that account down online and they did not take care of it, so you're going to end up having to wait on hold and be passed around to four different departments before you actually get a person to talk to, okay? That right there is going to take you an hour. Then you have to negotiate with someone and explain to someone all of the details, and guess what? They don't speak English. (laughs) Okay, so you're dealing with that. Then you have to deal with the logistics of the details of what actually happened. Okay, that right there is one hour. When you are at 75%, you can not only perform in a high-quality state those activities, you can successfully accomplish whatever it was that you intended to do when you picked up the phone, and then you can go on to the next bill, and you can continue to manage your budget, balance your budget, including things like balancing your accounts. You can actually work for up to six hours to deal with every single thing financial on your list so you don't have to do finances for another 30 days. There are some people who literally have a payment plan. They have a financial schedule. They have everything on paper organized so that they only have to spend a total of six hours total, where if you're at 25% and you're only doing 30 minutes at a time, You may have to do it a total of 12 hours a month. You have to do 30 minutes for six days. And if your energy and your attitude are negative, six days, 12 days, 15 days of 30 minutes, that feels like 15, 24-hour days. When your attitude is positive and your energy is positive, what you do increases exponentially for the simple reason that your volition and your willingness has improved. Mental strength provides endurance and emotional strength as well as improves performance. When you're in a really good mood, nothing anyone says or does can truly take it away. That means that if you are affected by other people to the point where your performance is compromised, you are still on one of the lower levels of condition that we described. How much do other people's energy and attitudes and performance compromise and alter your ability to perform? So we're going to go ahead and go over some thought-provoking questions and topics now. Ask yourself, these, these are rhetorical questions, but they really are a potential conversation starters. It's good to think about these things for yourself and do some self-examination, but then 
even as a, a conversation for a social setting, someone that you trust and respect and get their thoughts and feelings and ideas and feedback on this. One of the, the questions that I like to ask people, do you believe there's more joy in giving than in receiving? I actually had a philosophical debate with someone. Boy, we were both just absolutely stubborn on our, our stances. We had a position and an opinion. And, but let's go ahead and be open-minded and philosophical. Something that I've always described and appreciated, really, to people who don't necessarily recognize it is the intuitive feeler. That's one, one disposition of the MBTI personality profile. I'm not going into that today, but on my other radio shows, on my other um, archives, you can go ahead and listen to some of that MBTI stuff. An intuitive feeler has a very sincere struggle in life. That is, they really do base their entire happiness in life, their meaning and cause in life is giving to other people. They have a hard time giving to themselves. Well, what is giving to yourself? Do you get, do you derive pleasure, joy in giving more to others than you do to yourself? Well, then that begs the next question, which is, do you need to give to yourself? How do you give to yourself? How much do you need to do that? And when you do, does it make you feel bad because you believe that you're depriving other people of what they need or that they want? That would give you pleasure and happiness to give to them. It's a very delicate balance and it's a very tricky game. You've got to keep on top of that, not only of other people's needs, but your own needs and your perception, your judgment of what those things are from moment to moment. It's about giving in a healthy way. Well, what's a healthy thing to give? The challenge in self-care is about knowing how much of what kind of giving you should do, to whom, in what way, when, that includes yourself. If the giving that you are giving, you're sharing for someone, something, to yourself makes you a higher quality person than everything that you do for other people when you go back to them and say, okay, I've taken care of myself, quality care of myself. I know that it was worth it for me because the person that I am now, after taking good quality care of myself, has gone from 25% where I'm just doing the bare, bare essential necessities of the minimum that I have. Wow, now I've gone up to 75%. I'm going to do not only a better quality of the honey personality, but I'm going to do a higher quantity, the 75 to 80%, which is five to 10 times more than what I would have been doing if I hadn't taken care of myself. Okay, then the next question, do you believe that positive energy is more powerful than negative energy. Think again about the people in that homeless shelter. The difference between the way the employees treated me and the other residents, they did not scream at me for very long and they did not insult me for very long because when they did, my good attitude changed the way they behaved. Yes, negative energy, again, it's very influential, but positive energy will always conquer 
the negative, even if it's only in the sense that it will repel it to make it go away, not necessarily maintain it there with you and completely change it, even if it's only in the expulsion of that negative energy through elimination, the positive energy will completely change the negative energy if it stays. And there's a secret, ladies and gentlemen, most people really do want to stay. They want to be with you. They might not admit it out loud, but when you say and do positive things with them, they are so grateful because when you have the ability to say, I don't care what you've said and done to me, I really truly want to give to you with no expectation of anything in return because I've taken excellent care of myself. The immediate response that they're going to give you I promise you, across the board, how do you do that? I want to do that. I want to be like that. I don't know. I don't understand how you can do that. My world isn't good. Well, you can say, well, neither is mine. <laughs> you don't want to know the things that go on in my world. It's my internal world that has created something good that the external world cannot take away. One of the... the that I like to use as an example is, you know what, if you take good quality of yourself, you'll never need a vacation. My husband and I were married 26, 27 years. We never take a vacation because the lifestyle that I set up for myself, he doesn't know what I need. I have to tell him this is what I need and this is how I need it and when I need it and where and what I want it. You know what? Men love to know that about a woman, and they are so willing to give a woman whatever she wants. Our lifestyle doesn't demand having to take a break from life. If you take good quality care of yourself, you will be able to perform at a high level of functionality for an extended period of time in a high-quality state. You don't need recovery time away from your daily life activity because the quality of rest that you get when you stop performing is amazing. Self-care can even be painful, like medication, right? Self-care isn't always a pleasurable thing, but it's always worth it because you will become better. The return on investment is the reward, and the people around you will then support you if they see the very tangible and practical benefits that have occurred as a result of you taking good quality time to take good quality care of yourself, even doing the work that's painful and frustrating and overwhelming when they see that, the very tangible and practical benefits that they are immediately being rewarded with, they're experiencing firsthand, that will inspire them and motivate them to respond in kind. Following your example, your positive energy is going to be their motivation. Inertia is only good when it's mindful and with a specific purpose. And that's when I say things like doing nothing are okay when it's focus, breathing, stretching. That's, you know, sometimes it looks like it's doing nothing. But that lack of activity is not doing nothing at all because you're working on the quality of your heart or your mind or your body 
that creates positive spirit, which improves the quality of your soul. So the only time inertia is good is when it's mindful and with your purpose or focus very clearly in mind. I don't know how much you really want to hear more, but I've got a whole lot more to say, and my producer is a fabulous man who's going to let me keep going. I don't tell everybody everything that's in my book without charging them an insane, oh my gosh, fee, <laughs> because they like that where they go to a counselor or a psychologist, a therapist, and they don't ever get real answers. Not only do I give them the tangible, specific answers to their questions, but I explain how to employ those things in a practical way in their daily life. So go ahead, get yourself a drink. You can go ahead and put this on pause if you need to. We're going to keep going, starting with your true nature. <laughs> Doug, are you still with me? <laughs> I'm, I think I might have just put my, my uh, producer to sleep. Okay, or he's multitasking, and I do love that about Doug. You know what? For a guy, he can do some pretty pretty impressive multitasking. Again, the, the number, if you want to go ahead and call into this station and ask a question or even share your thoughts or comments. This is the first time we've ever done a two-hour show. So the number, again, is 888-627-6008. Okay, so one of the things I explain to people about their personality is you are always going to have the personality that you were born with. Nature gives us an amazing gift of a personality, a set way of being certain things instead of others. We have strengths and talents and gifts and abilities that are for a specific purpose because there are a lot of people in the world and a lot of different things need to get done. When nature very beautifully distributes different personalities, that's a very nice distribution of those talents and abilities. And certain things in life just need to happen more than others. It's really important when someone is born with a knack, a gift, or doing a certain kind of activity that they do that activity. Not only because it's natural for them, but in a healthy way, they can improve the quality of the world. I know a lot of people have heard of MBTI, and I've gone over it a couple, a couple of times, but when you're talking about four levels of functionality, it's going to give a real brief overview on the different levels. One is your dominant function. Okay, That is like breathing for you. You cannot stop it. If you stop, doing your dominant function as a daily life activity, it's like suffocating yourself. You literally have to harm yourself in order to stop doing your dominant function. You can't just turn it off without doing damage to yourself. The second level is auxiliary function. When you have an auxiliary function, that's like eating. Whatever that activity is for you, you don't have to do it all day every day you only have to do it once in a while. And you have that indication from your body, from your environment. Someone is saying, okay, it's time to eat. Okay, well, that's good. Then you go ahead and respond to whatever is indicating to you that that activity needs to be done. Then your third level is your tertiary function. I liken that to walking. 
yeah, we do have to walk. And it's an important activity, but we do have a resistance to it. It takes effort to get going in our tertiary function, and we can only do it for an extended period of time a few times. Or you know what? It's better to just do it a little bit once in a while. But there's still going to be that resistance. So it's not necessary to do it at all times, but you have to be good enough at it, you know, just like when you learn how to walk, to successfully do it. And then the inferior function, it's like running. It really is something that our body is naturally resistant to. Yes, it serves a great purpose in life. And you can do it. Anybody can do it. And you can even do it for an extended period of time. And you can even do it in an impressive way, like a marathon runner, like an athlete, an Olympic athlete. Yes, you can perform your inferior function in an amazing way. But that takes a lot of time and a lot of energy and it can actually harm you because it's not something that you're supposed to do for more than a couple hours total a day, and certainly for not longer than an hour at a time. Learn what your functions are. It's very important when you're doing your activities to do them in a proportion of, what I say the dominant is 60%, that's 9 to 10 hours a day. When your auxiliary function we're talking about things like eating, that needs to be three to four hours a day. When you're talking about your tertiary function, it's like walking. You can walk for two to three hours a day, but probably not more. It's like your tertiary function. And your inferior function, you can't do that for more than an hour and a half a day. Most people cap out like at running at about 45 minutes a day. That's, that's only 5% of your waking time. Yes, again, you can do it in a solid block of time, but that's only if you're really healthy, you can do it for an extended period of time. Master your lower functions, like your tertiary and your inferior functions, that you can do them periodically throughout the day without overexertion or without exhaustion or frustration as you're doing them, because that, again, will change your emotional energy, and that will change the synergy that you create with other people. I really like, I just can't even believe sometimes I went to the gym and um, spoke to the lady who's trying to be my trainer. She's trying to, you know, pitch me her little program and get me to sign a contract to give her a ridiculous amount of money every month so she can stand there and watch me do what I do best by myself. Now, you know what? People drive half an hour to get to the gym to get on a treadmill okay, and then drive home. How about if you walk? Okay, what would happen if people actually walk to the different places in life that life circumstances demand periodically, dispersed throughout the day? Instead of going to an establishment to use a machine, it would be more variety and it would be potentially more human interaction. That's a big part of what makes people happy. Think about your personal care, the care of yourself not only doing the functions that are your dominant and auxiliary, the natural inclinations of your personality as functions, don't do your lower functions without the motivation and compensation and restoration that is required on the lower functionality. Do the natural daily human life healthful activities like walking to a place instead of driving. How would your holistic mind and body and heart and spirit change if you did things like walking. 
And I think anybody can stop to think about that question based on their current lifestyle. Is it worth it? Well, then think about this. As you improve, walking just, say, three miles a day, well, if you're talking about that would probably take an hour total, just walking for 15 minutes four times a day, you know what? That's if you walk fast. Okay. Walking to places nearby. Well, thinking about stretching throughout the day. If you just stretch for 30 minutes daily, how much of your performance increases not only in a quantity, right, but also in the quality of what you're doing, basic daily life activities that will always need to be done. Stretching is vital to the blood flow. What changes when your body is able to do its job more efficiently simply because the blood is flowing more healthfully? Wow, a lot. And everything that we do, when it is done in a higher quality state, we do a better job, period. Is it worth taking the time to keep yourself and your lifestyle to the point where you don't ever need a vacation? You wouldn't need a vacation because you're never stressed out to the point where you have to escape daily life activities. Infusing personal care into your daily life activities, well... There are going to be things that are just overwhelming for you in daily life because of the world that we live in. So these are the six keys that I give to people, the different tools and resources that I teach them as a coach. They can utilize and maximize in order to stay successful. No matter what life throws at you, if you're keeping your energy positive, then you will be able to not only deal with the challenges as they arise, but you will also be able to maintain that energy and strength as you go through those activities. One very common struggle that people just in the world that we live in because of the way the world is today is losing focus. They actually have a hard time just keeping in mind what it was they were doing because there are so many distractions around them, not only in a daily lifestyle way, but also in a personal issue way. There are going to be things that are important to you in life that are going to take your focus away from taking care of yourself. Well, what do we do with uh, when we lose focus? I like to tell people that milestones and rewards are one of the most effective ways to stay focused. Now, a milestone, the actual definition of a milestone is a stone set up beside a road mark mark to to measure the distance to a specific place. Okay, this consists of an object or an event, anything that is going to be a clear indication of a significant place or change. And I love that I'm sitting here in a beautiful scenic sun. Someone's riding past me in a very loud machine. Okay, so (laughs) you got to love that little distraction. So now when we're talking about a milestone, there has to be a significant place or change that merits that indication really to make you focus and and acknowledge in a conscientious way, I have successfully completed something. That means you are going to be able to stay focused as you're doing many different things as other things around you are taking your eyes and your mind off of what you're doing, now, you know what, personal milestones, yeah, that's just going to make you grow 
in not only a faster way, but in a more profound way, a more permanent way. Okay, so like I'll use the basic example of a healthy goal would be to lose 50 pounds. Okay, so four milestones to reach that goal would be one milestone for every 12 to 13 pounds that you lose. A milestone every 12 pounds would be a nice focus and a constructive standard. Since many experts recommend that a person should not lose more than three pounds per week if they want to remain healthy, that means that a 12-pound loss well, shouldn't really happen any sooner than one month. That means that losing 50 pounds could realistically take four to six months. Okay, well, you know what? Hmm. The trick is to get close enough to sustain the momentum and feel far enough away to push you out of your comfort zone. So there are some things that the human body is just naturally inclined towards. Something being challenging doesn't mean it has to be overwhelming. Let's go ahead and one month can be too far away for certain personality types to have as a landmark that they're aiming for to keep them motivated and focused. They literally cannot stay focused for a whole month before they get a reward. And it's definitely too long to wait (laughs) um, before reaching the ultimate goal. It's just almost worse for them to think about how long they have to wait. So breaking that goal down into four smaller milestones, like three pounds per week instead of 12 pounds per month, it's the same formula, it's the same ultimate goal and the rate and pace, but the difference is setting up the milestones into four smaller distances. That would afford them more opportunity for the positive reinforcement that comes also with the feeling of personal fulfillment. In addition to the natural happiness that occurs with success, sometimes a healthy predetermined secondary reward is especially helpful. Celebration is very good for self-esteem. The most important thing to keep in mind is that a reward needs to provide the pleasure and satisfaction of a positive experience without canceling the work that was done or undermining the progress that was made. Okay, so you have to make sure that constructive rewards are not going to undo your progress. Some examples of healthy and constructive rewards I like to give people. Um, going out to a movie or having coffee with friends. It's not too expensive or too time-consuming. Or going to bed early without interrupting any important responsibilities or obligations. Watching an enjoyable television show, purchasing an article of clothing relevant to your goal, reading a book, getting a massage, getting a bath. Going to a sporting event, well, that can be kind of expensive. But it's very important to remember that everything that you do cannot undo what you just successfully did. And you're honest with yourself. If you're honest with yourself, you know. Set down some some goals for yourself just in theory. Calculate what would be good landmarks on the road to reaching a goal. Choose three healthy rewards that you're comfortable giving yourself that you can choose just one from when you reach a landmark and see how it feels for you to take good quality care of yourself knowing that you are increasing the value of your soul when you have positive reinforcement. The next challenge that I'm going to consider with you guys just because of COVID-19 that I absolutely hate, I'm starting to get very, very irritated with the fact that it's not going away, (laughs) is loneliness. We all get lonely. And how do we conquer loneliness that's inevitable now? With a personal support system. And that comes from accepting that everyone has a distinct personality 
and a natural individual strength because of that personality, it makes people better able to see all the wonderful things that the different people in their lives have and love to offer as their gift. Some people are great at offering emotional support. They're able to help others work through painful feelings that can be overwhelming. They're called intuitive healers. Others are willing to, they're able to get physical things done, things that people might not have the time or resources to do themselves. Those are sensory perceivers. Then there are people who can come up with solutions to problems with a mental block that's happened. They come up with a brilliant game plan or an ingenious idea. They're called intuitive thinkers. And still others love to give the moral encouragement and positive reinforcement to support that's needed to stay focused and keep going. Those are sensory judgers. Okay, so now think about your life. Just We're going to do a little activity here, a mental activity. Start with four lists of five people that you know and personally interact with at least once a week. Start with 20 people that you know. Don't even put them in a list yet. Just get to know the people in your life. Learn their, their disposition, their strengths, their preferences. And who do you know that would give you good quality physical support? Who would give you good emotional support? How about mental support, moral support? Everybody in your life would have an inclination or a preference toward one of those more than the other three. If you had, if you knew you had an abundance of personal resources that you had access to, would you even use it? Because you know what? Not everyone would. Not everyone is comfortable providing this kind of help, and therefore they're not comfortable reaching out and asking for it either. You may just need to first get comfortable with the idea of reaching out for help at all. But each of the lists need to contain five people's names because not everyone has a lifestyle that makes them available all the time. And not everyone on the list is always in an immediate situation that gives them the freedom to help you even when they genuinely want to and it kills them that they have to say, no, you need to be able to say, it's okay, I love that you at least want to. Thank you caring enough about me to want to help me. And they'll know that if you are going to be the kind of person to reach out to them for help, they will be ready and willing to help you. That's a good thing that you're doing for them as a gift. So when you are putting your list together and creating a support system, you will be interacting with people. You won't have the loneliness because you'll be interacting with them and you will be saying to them, not only am I giving you the gift of acceptance when you share your strength and ability with me, I am also making your life better because the quality of your soul has gone up exponentially. You might be the one that has just turned them from a 25% state to a 75% state when you have made a meaningful and beneficial interaction happen between the two of you with positive energy. You know what? Keep in mind that someone can be on more than one list at a time. Just wanted to let you know, maybe as if you're an introvert, you might well not have 20 people in your life, okay? <laughs> you know and have frequent interaction with, that's okay. You don't have to be best friends with everyone on your list, but you may need to have certain people on more than one list, okay? So questions that will help you determine the people in your life. Okay, 
How do you know someone? How long have you known them? How much interaction do you currently have with them? How are they currently supportive to you? Do they know that you feel this way about them? How would they define your relationship? And what's their contact information? Do you have it? Do you know it? If not, it's time to update your, your record. Okay, so identifying not only the kinds of needs that you, that you have in the moment, but what that means you're going to reach out for in the event that that need appears. That's a very good thing for you to have as a tool, as a resource to create success in your life. Okay, now the next one we're going to go over is negative thoughts, conquering negative thoughts. Positive thinking through affirmations is an exercise I go through with my clients a lot. And because it's, it's tricky, that's something that became very popular about 30 years ago, the power of words and positive thoughts and affirmations. Well, you know what? Some people feel kind of retarded saying stuff like that to themselves out loud. <laughs> it, it feels ridiculous if you're not real, you know, used to doing that, especially if you're an introvert. But the, the definition of an affirmation is the statement of a fact strongly and publicly asserted. That's what it means to affirm something, to state it as a fact and assert it strongly and publicly. Now, when you affirm something, whether it's a thought or a feeling or a belief, you are stating it as a fact. You're stating that something is an absolute truth, out loud and with force and confidence. A lot of professionals in the mental health industry use this as a form of self-brainwashing because studies have shown that when people hear words coming out of their own mouth, these words have a profound and lasting effect. Others' words are other, very, very influential, okay? But a person's own words have an even stronger effect and result. Science has also shown that the human subconscious does not understand the concept of no. When it hears something, it simply accepts it as a fact. Even when a person may be trying to say something positive, if they say it in the form of this bad thing is not true, the brain doesn't understand that in a literal way. In a linear way, the brain just takes everything as a fact. And so that means that the human mind also proactively puts everything that it has been given to use. Even an untrue bad thing that you may have just mentioned, you know what? Your mind and body will find a way to use it in a pragmatic <laughs> way. Okay, yeah, that could include just making a single piece of a complete thought or idea that you'll soon have the opportunity to use in a tangible way in your daily life, it's very important that you constantly provide an infinite amount of positive information to your mind. Eventually, your subconscious will take over and force the information that it's been given back into your conscious. You will soon begin to wholeheartedly believe it, perhaps without even realizing it, because you're going to be acting on it as your subconscious gives you the instructions to do so. The subconscious provides the conscious with the information as it sees the need. It returns the information that it has been given, that your life experiences have provided, in the most powerful way. That's how things always get done, by humans. And affirmations are a very powerful tool that, when used correctly, they can generate incredible results relatively quickly and in every way and every arena of your life. So it's time really to start using and understanding affirmations. Now, 
there are some rules that I tell my clients that are absolutely essential to follow and to understand and appreciate if you're going to make your affirmation successful and effective. Number one, always phrase affirmations in the present indicative sense. Number two, keep them short and simple. Number three, they should consist of highly complimentary statements with wonderful things about who you are and what you do. Number four, write a list of a minimum of 10 affirmations, but they need to be proportionate in a ratio of one to three. So number four is a minimum of 10 affirmations. Number five, in the ratio of one to three, one statement needs to be a statement that you completely, wholeheartedly already believe. Without a doubt, you know it's true. One of them needs to be something that you suspect is true, but you sometimes wonder about. And the last one is something that you don't believe at all, but you'd give anything to have it be true. Just knowing that brainwashing yourself by saying it out loud enough times would make it true for you in life. That's reason enough to put it on the list. What do you want to have or do or be more than anything? Write it down as an affirmation statement. Number six, shuffle the list of statements so that they are randomly placed on the list. Number seven, have at least seven copies of the complete list strategically placed throughout your general environment so they are a permanent mixture of your daily activities seen repeatedly by you as you go through your regular daily life routine. Even if they're discreetly concealed from the general public, you still know exactly where they are. Number eight, frequently say them out loud and in a casual way at random times as you're doing daily activities separate from where you say them as a reciting list. That's number nine. Have a set schedule that you also routinely use to recite the affirmations. No matter what's going on in your life, at that time of day, other things can wait. This is not negotiable. Number 10, keep a copy of a list physically with you at all times so that in the event that you feel a need for immediate positive reinforcement to cancel negative thoughts, it will be readily, easily accessible to you. Number 11, Read the list out loud at least five times daily, more as needed. Say the whole list out loud, number 12. <laughs> Say the whole list out loud until you completely believe each and every statement. As many times as it takes for that to happen, that could be for up to 15 minutes. That could be 25 to 30 times, depending on how you're feeling in the moment that you start. Number 13. Have several emergency, that may mean private places, depending on your personality, in your world. That could be home, work, where you can go to recite them out loud uninterrupted if negative feelings begin to manifest within you. Number 14, even if you're crying, continue to say the statements out loud with conviction through the tears so your brain, your ears hear you convincing yourself that those statements are true. And number 15, if you're stuck with one statement, you can't just convince yourself that it's true for some reason, keep going until you do. If you say it out loud frequently enough, your mind and heart will stop resisting. Okay, this is very important now. Write a list of 18 statements that you're going to say to yourself out loud at least five times a day for 21 days, then pick out the 10 statements that you know would be the most helpful to you. That's your affirmation project. Okay, the next challenge that people have, losing focus, 
Yeah, you know what? Daily checklist. Okay. When we're talking about those checklists, you really do need to get the routine going. You know what? Generally speaking, lists are more enjoyable for judges than perceivers. Okay? Judges just like them more. When we're talking about having a long-distance focus, well, yeah, you can have a goal. Sure, keeping it. But what about just daily activities? <laughs> Getting through the day without losing focus. You know what? Lists, judges love that stuff. Perceivers, not so much. Again, that's the MBTI reference. Judges are very um, willing to not only make lists for themselves but for others. Well, you know what? They can be helpful for everyone. Don't impose them, okay? Keep that in mind, too, because you don't want it to undermine what you're doing. Lists provide a sense of focus to people when they're going through a change. But sometimes it's just challenging to make changes in life. Sometimes just getting through a day can help you remind yourself of what you're doing and why you're doing it without even getting a reward. Lists provide a positive reinforcement because, again, when an item is checked off the list, the feeling of accomplishment is the reward. That's a fulfillment. Now, that's separate from the reward that the world will also give you for your successful completion of that particular task. But people also do well with checklists for the additional reason that it helps remind them that some things are simply important to some people and the world that they live in more than others. It gets them out of their own world because they are focused on other people and other things besides themselves. Whether you agree with those people or not, there are going to be some things in life that you just need to do. Those things need to get done. So the visual reminder, provided you don't lose the list at some point during the day, can also be a tendency of perceivers. That visual reminder is a great way to realign your thoughts. And at the end of the day, a physical confirmation of the individual things that you've successfully done also keeps your larger goal in front of your mind. When you're working towards a goal, okay, like your uh, milestones, a ratio of one to four consisting of the four following kinds of activities. I'm going to describe here. When you have a list, the ratio of one to four. One, constructive thing that you already do consistently that doesn't demand excessive thought or effort, okay, that you're very proud of, then one thing that you do well but sometimes need to be reminded of, right, that makes you feel good when you've done it, one thing that you do sporadically because it's challenging and it requires concerted effort that builds your confidence when you've done it, and then the fourth one is one thing you currently don't do at all but want to start doing regularly that would make you incredibly happy if it was a habitual activity in your daily life, okay, so... Checklists need to stay at that listed ratio. For every single personal challenge you experience, you need to have three positive confirmations. That reinforcement is vital. It takes 21 days to form a habit. Doing something repeatedly and consistently for 21 days puts it into the context or onto a level of you feeling uncomfortable if you didn't do it. It genuinely gets to a different place inside of you. So having those positive reinforcements with the checklist that you do throughout the day, that's going to improve the quality of your soul. Now, this is the one that all of my clients love to focus on, and I say, now, you can't abuse this one. Yes, this is the fun one, but 
activities that give you a shot in the arm. Sometimes people just need energy and strength to keep going. The world we live in sucks the life out of us. We do not have a lot of positive reinforcement. We don't have a lot of um, resourcefulness around us, giving us that fuel that we need. And the distractions, especially with technology, they really are supposed to help us get more things done. Well, they end up undermining our success because they, they suck the life out of us. Technology is really, really bad for us past a certain point now. A shot in the arm is just by definition something that people inject when they need energy and strength to keep going. It has an immediate effect because it goes directly into the bloodstream. And it's very helpful to have these things when you're struggling and you need help to continue. In the process of working to become a better person, you will inevitably have internal and external challenges that are going to drain you. They're going to demand your energy, which is mental and physical and emotional. Your personal struggles and issues can take a lot of work for you to manage, and your physical environment can be overwhelming if you're living in less than ideal situations, just as a general rule. Various social situations can manifest other people's personal issues that you might not personally be equipped to effectively handle. That doesn't mean they're going to go away. You're still going to be around them. So taking care of yourself in a healthy way at those times will help you to take your focus completely away from anyone or anything negative that you're currently feeling exhausted by, and it will help you to get personally recentered. Restoring your energy and focus and stability in this way will help you become healthier and a more productive version of yourself, that higher quality soul that will create a more powerful positive synergy, at which time you can go back to whatever you were doing before because you know that everything that you are doing and giving and being is exponentially better. Okay, so I have some rules also that I give my clients when it comes to energizing yourself with a shot in the arm, okay? Ten rules. Number one, keep any objects that will be used by you in a place or circumstance where you can have immediate access to them. Number two, don't use any activity or object more than twice per day. Number three, don't spend more than 10 minutes doing any activity unless it was pre-scheduled by you. Number four, do not spend more than 50% of your hourly pay rate on anything that you have purchased that you need for the activity. If you do spend more than 50% of your hourly pay rate, it no longer qualifies as this kind of activity. It's one of your rewards, your milestone rewards. Okay, I'm going to repeat that. Number four, do not spend more than 50% of your hourly pay rate to purchase anything that you will use for a shot in the arm. Number five, do not place any demand or pressure on any other people without their prior knowledge and consent. They must feel prepared for this if you ask for their assistance or participation. Number six, do not consume more than the equivalency of 10% of your total daily caloric intake. This means you need to know how much food you actually can eat in a day. Everybody's diet is different. Do not consume more than 10% of your total daily caloric intake for a shot in the arm. Number seven, these activities must be powerful and effective enough to improve your overall that's physical, mental, and emotional condition by at least 
33% when you are done. Okay, I'm going to say that again, number seven. They must be powerful and effective enough to improve your overall emotional, mental, and physical condition by at least 33%. This means you need to know your state before you even get started. And you have to know yourself well enough to be able to say, yes, I know that I am that much better, at least that much better now as a result of having taken care of myself in this way. Number eight, be predetermined specific activities. They have to be specific activities corresponding to specific circumstances so that little or no thought is necessary in the moment that you're selecting which one that you need. You have to, when you have these shot-in-the-arm activities ready for circumstances before those circumstances arise because a lot of times when you are in that low-energy, low-quality state, you cannot think objectively and resourcefully the same way that you can when you're not in an emergency situation. You have a better judgment, so make sure that all of these determinations All of these determinations are also with you in a high-quality state. Number nine, you must completely mentally separate and emotionally detach from anything negative in your environment before you start so you will be fully engrossed in the positive activities that you are doing. And number ten, you must deal immediately with an issue or problem that generated the initial need for a shot in the arm by you when you are done. If there was something specifically that put you in that state, unless it was something general or um, cumulative, okay, if there was something that triggered a need or shot in the arm by you, you need to deal with it when you're done. Is it worth it to take good care of yourself? Well, you know what? Some people say people who are negative, they have negative emotions. They're, they're not taking good care of themselves. Well, that's another tool that I like to help people change their perspective about. Negative reaction emotions. Okay, because you know what? Sometimes negative emotions are a good thing. They just need to be utilized and challenged and um, channeled in a constructive and mindful way. The three negative emotions that humans are very capable of experiencing are fear and anxiety and anger. Okay, so now, these are three very important emotions that are really, they do serve a very good practical purpose for us in life. They're simply not dealt with very effectively and helpfully. So then, the negative emotions are blamed for the results, the behavior of the person, but the emotion is not the same thing as the behavior. So again, the three ones that we're going to consider now are anxiety and fear and anger. So anger, when we have got a lot of social um, opinion about whether anger is good or bad, but let's just get right down to the crux of it. When a human feels anger, it's because their mind has discerned that Something wrong has occurred, and it needs immediate attention. Something needs to be addressed or corrected or eliminated. The hormones and other chemicals that accompany the thoughts that people have when they're angry 
give people the extra strength and endurance and volition to do the work necessary to identify and fix their problem. Well, you know what? Most of the time, it's the issue of a moral boundary being violated, okay? It's reached a point that your mind can no longer ignore what has happened. So your mind is now saying, all right, body, you're going to do something about this. This is really, really a problem, and I'm not going to let you get away with this. If you do try to ignore the issue, your body will continue to feel intense emotional response, chemical reaction, you know, graphic thoughts. It's a very motivational emotion. Anger is important because it is what indicates to us that something needs to be fixed. Well, what about fear? When you experience fear, it's because your mind is discerning that something very bad, bad and potentially threatening to you is in the process of happening. You are now unsafe in your mind's opinion, right? When it creates a biochemical response similar to anger, it actually changes your mental perspective and justifies a survival mode type of activity. You genuinely believe that your existence is at risk, so thoughts and feelings are intense for the purpose of self-preservation, protection. That's important. We need to keep going. We need to keep living. This is a critical emotion because it gives you more access to your subconscious and potentially make you more resourceful or give you creative options, ones that you would never otherwise consider. Proactively, conscientiously, fear is telling you, you need to look at some other, some other options here because something is in the process of happening. It needs to stop now. All right. So when you're experiencing anxiety, anxiety is the third one, it's because your mind has determined that something very bad or potentially threatening could eventually happen. It hasn't finished like with anger. It's not in the process like fear. It could potentially happen. And that's your body's way of saying, hey, if you address the issue, you can avoid the possibility of that coming to fruition. This will prevent the potential damage that would occur if it did. It's very stimulating because people don't always see the inherent value of taking action until the problem or disaster has already occurred. But the human body and mind are prepared with extra energy and chemicals, and that's very beneficial and helpful because if they're used effectively, you can be proactive and constructive in taking preventative measures. This makes maintaining peace internally as well as your external environment more stable, a more realistic possibility, a more likely event. Now, all three of these described emotions are very healthy. They are vitally important and useful in helping you to create success and maintain happiness in your life. But unfortunately, since all three of them generate such an intense mental and physical response, in addition to the feeling itself, a person can become easily overwhelmed. The initial inclination may be to deny that feeling or to avoid the feeling or to bury the feeling. It's actually your reaction to your reaction that generates many of the problems that will occur as a result of the emotion. Now, see, as often as a result, the primary trigger of the emotion is never effectively addressed or resolved in the end because of that fact. Just being overwhelmed by the feeling itself distracts you away from truly effectively solving the problem. 
like, for example, your personality combined with your personal life experience may have taught you to be afraid of your anger. Or you may have observed that someone important in your life became angry when they were anxious or the survival mechanism. You may be anxious about your fear. But more often than not, people simply intensify their emotions when they don't address them, which exacerbates the original problem. To prevent that from happening, it's best to directly address the reaction emotion that you're having at the time you're having it and work through that emotional response, keeping the issue separate so then you can resolve the real issue in a healthier state, a high-quality state, more like honey than vinegar. So what you need to do is write a list of experiences that are very common for you. What things generally make you angry? What are you afraid of? What are you anxious about? It's very important for you to take note of how you respond, not only to things in your life, but how you respond to your emotional reactions. Think about the things that create struggle for you in your life, and then think about the way that you respond to your struggles. All of the things that we've gone over today are about you being mindful and proactive. When you're holistic, you consider your heart and your body and your mind. Your spirit is simply the energy that fuels your heart and your body and your mind. I tell people you really do have to put the mask on yourself first. You have to get yourself into a high-quality state because there is no neutral energy. If you are not positive, you are, by definition, negative. If you're not being proactive, you're defaulting into reactive. So when you know that what you're doing is your choice, your preference, because it's your mindful decision, you are not affected by the things in your environment. Yeah, there are going to be tough things that you're going to have to deal with in life. That's just the world we live in. But know what your needs are. And know what your preferences are. Know what your strengths and talents and abilities are. Those are the keys to getting yourself and keeping yourself in a high-quality state. That is going to be contagious. Your positive energy and mindful attitude and your willingness, your optimistic approach and interpretation to not only the things that are going on in your life, but the people that are around you will be highly effective because they will be effective. People will be very affected by everything that you say and do and are, even if that's doing and saying nothing. If your energy is positive while you're doing and saying nothing, that will diffuse the situation. And positive energy is more powerful than negative. Yes. Negative energy is very contagious. Positive energy is more powerful. We're going to be having some information over the next six weeks about MBTI, what those different letters are, the personality profile system. We're also going to be considering very specifically functionality, functional order. So I'm going to be sending out some information to my listeners and to my followers on different social websites. If you have any questions about Myers-Briggs Type Indicator Personality Profile System, 
please send me an email to synergyrelationshipcoaching at gmail.com. And what we're starting in December is going to be support groups, coaching support groups, as well as coaching classes and then workshops. So there's three different kinds of presentations that you can participate in. And the themes and the topics are going to be relative to all of the different questions that people have presented to me as a coach over the last year. Some things are just more interesting and more important to people than others. So I'm going to have discounts and specials on the different classes as well as the coaching groups and the workshops. Some people want to sit for an hour and they just want to listen and take notes. Some people just want to talk for a good 30 minutes, but they want the talking that they do to be with people who care about what they're doing. And so synergy, relationship coaching, that's going to be something that in 2022, everyone will know about because the people who have these experiences and they want to create the powerful, positive energy in the world, they'll be prepared to do it. And that positive energy that's contagious will be motivational to other people. Everything that we do for people is going to be mindful. That means it's responsible. That means it's accountable. And that's how we'll make the world a better place. Ask yourself if you really want to make the world a better place. The power of synergy is infinite. I'm your host, Gabrielle Cardona, with BBS Radio. Thanks for joining me today, and have a great rest of your week.